Space Dermatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 101, evaluating the safety and short-term equivalence of colchicine versus prednisone in older patients with acute calcium pyrophosphate crystal arthritis, colchicort. <laughs> wow. This was published in Lancet Rheumatology uh, a couple of months back. Now, I'm excited to talk about this because somehow, inexplicably, this is the first randomized controlled trial in the field of CPPD. I, I, I find that hard to believe because this is a very common disease. It's an inflammatory disease. It's a disease that affects the boomers, you know, and the boomers tend to run our trials agenda. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm frankly surprised this is the first one, but the authors tell me that and I couldn't find any others. So we're going to take that at face value. Now, this was an open-label, multi-center, randomized trial at six hospitals in Paris. Patients who were enrolled had to be 65 years or older, which makes sense. You know, CPPD tends to affect people who are older. And they had to have acute um, uh, calcium pyrophosphate crystal arthritis. So there's a bunch of different buckets of CPPD. Um, so there's there's pseudogout, uh, which is sort of this colloquial term to refer to them. There's chondrocalcinosis, which is when you have calcium in the joint. There's acute C, calcium pyrophosphate arthritis, which is what we're talking about here. There's chronic calcium pyrophosphate crystal arthritis, which you know is more of the, the longer-term version of this. So, you know, this was on people who had acute episodes. To define that, they said they had to have crystals on a synovial fluid analysis, which is my preferred method of diagnosing this by far. And then you had to have a clin typical clinical presentation, which they defined as onset of joint pain and swelling. So you had a, a, essentially arthritis um, within 24 hours, and they required you to have chondrocalcinosis of the target joint. That, that makes sense. I mean, I think that the second definition is a little more loosey-goosey, but, but fine. Now, the exclusion criteria were actually much stronger than I expected, and I wish they'd been a little bit more relaxed in their inclusion criteria. So this is problem number one, which is that this is a somewhat selected population. Now, if you did have an aspiration and you didn't have crystals, you would get excluded. Um, you couldn't have received any anti-inflammatory drugs over the past seven days. That included colchicine, corticosteroids, NSAIDs. So, I mean, a lot of these patients are on NSAIDs already. Um, IL-1 blockers were also included. Um, you couldn't have any known contraindications to colchicine, which I, I don't think there's really any strong contraindications to colchicine. I would say that I'm very careful with people who have um, CKD, in particular stage four kidney disease, you know, dose change, dose reduce. Uh, obviously, people were on calcineurin inhibitors, but they had a whole long list of things. And they also said known contraindications to steroids, which I don't really think there's any true contraindications to steroids. There's certainly mitigating factors where I would avoid them. So they, they said that if you had hypertension over 160, uncontrolled diabetes, uncontrolled infection, immunosuppression, uncontrolled psychosis, then sure, I mean, I would avoid steroids in those people. But Starting off, they excluded all of these folks. And so you wound up having sort of healthy people with, you know, well-controlled comorbidities who had normal kidney function. And it's kind of a little bit healthier of a population than I would like because I want to know if this applies to people who are sick and the ones we're getting consulted on in the hospital. But fine. Now, this was not a blinded trial. So patients were randomized in an open-label fashion to receive colchicine or prednisone, which is problem number two. I mean, this was an investigator-initiated study. There's no pharmaceutical company paying for this. And so it's kind of hard to blind people without funding. So you know, I get it, and I still like open-label designs. But just bear in mind that the, the patients knew what they were getting. And there's going to be some priming there, right, where people are say, oh, hey, here's colchicine, and this is going to cause some diarrhea. And then the patients say, hey, I got some diarrhea. So just bear in mind that um, side effects and things in this study are a little less hard, less easy to trust. This brings me to the third problem, which is actually quite a vexing problem. Now, participants were randomized to get colchicine, and they defined that as you know two tabs um, immediately, then another one hour later, and then one tab the next day. Fine. That's how I start people on colchicine. Or you could get oral prednisone, 30 milligrams, on day one and two. Great. 
that seems like a reasonable prednisone dose. I use 40 because I like 40 better. I use 20 in people that I think is a little softer, so they kind of split the difference. Fine, I'm okay with that. But then things get weird. So all patients received one gram of Tylenol and 50 milligrams of Tramadol three times per day during the first 24 hours. I, I don't get it. Why give them Tramadol? It's very bizarre. Now, in recent podcasts, I've complained about how we provide inadequate background therapy. I think this is excessive background therapy. It's entirely plausible to me that one of these drugs worked better than the other, but because they decided to somewhat inexplicably just load them up with tramadol, which is one of my least favorite medications, now I don't know because I imagine if there was some difference, it may have been blunted by the fact that they gave them tramadol. Like I, just, I just don't understand why we would do that. It's not what I do. It's not standard of care. I mean, the movement is towards not giving people narcotics for things like this. And you know, this is literally a randomized controlled trial of two active inter therapeutic interventions. Like, what do you need that for? It seems silly. And then things get even weirder. So like I said, I'm happy with the day one and two treatment choices. I mean, that, that makes sense. But then at day three, they just stopped the randomized part of the trial. And people just could get anything. You know, you can get more cold scene, you can give them some steroids, you can give them NSAIDs, you can inject them at that point, <laughs> you can give them Anakin if you feel like it. It just seemed like a very weird thing to do. I mean, why not run the trial for eight days? You know, eight days would have been a nice sort of, you know, how do people do over the first week of therapy? Can we stop the therapy? Things like that. But instead, we get two days of therapy, which is not something that any of us does. I mean, all of us extend therapy past two days for acute calcium pyrophosphate arthritis. I, I, I found this really difficult to understand. I, I suspect it's because patients were hospitalized and, you know, some of them were going home. And again, it's an open label investigator initiated study, so they don't have a huge budget for this. But I mean, they followed them till day eight anyway. Just maintain them on the randomized group. I, strange choice, and I think it really, really sort of cast a shadow over how useful this study actually is. Now, the primary outcome of the study was um, visual analog scale, and they said a change from baseline pain um, on a zero to 100 um, scale, which is fine. Seems pretty reasonable. And they, they powered this kind of as a non-inferiority study, I guess. They said it was an 80% partial equivalence between the two, which is fine, I guess. But it just seemed like um, a little bit on the small side. They had 56 participants per group was what their target was. Um, and their equivalence was determined by a visual analog scale of negative 1.2 you know, negative 13 to plus um, 13. So, you know, that's somewhere between a 10 to 20% difference, depending on how much pain the patients came in on. I, I guess that's reasonable. They ultimately approached 230 patients. Um, 111 were randomized, so 54 in one group and 57 in the other. Analysis was intention to treat, so good work by them. What did they find? Well, the patients were all pretty old. Not to throw shade at elderly folks, but uh, it was 87 in one group and 88 in the other. So um, on, certainly on the older side for trials we get to read. Uh, patients were mostly female, which I thought was quite interesting. You know, I don't think of CPPD as having a strong gender predilection, and I suspect there's some survivorship bias to this, uh, but we'll see. Um, uh, main joints that were affected were wrists in about a quarter and knees in about half, which, you know, roughly mirrors my clinical experience of this, uh, pain on the VAS was, um, 69 and 66. So, you know, patients were in quite a bit of pain when they entered the study and 90 some percent had chondrocalcinosis on imaging, which, which makes sense. What they find? Well, in the Colchin group, the change in pain on the visual analog scale was negative 36 and on the Colchin group was negative 38. The difference was not statistically significantly different. Now, they looked at a couple subset things. They're like, you know, what about a minor response in pain, which they defined as a 20% improvement? They saw this in 76% in the Colchin group, 89% in the prednisone group. Kind of looked like it was trending towards favoring prednisone, but not statistically significantly different. 
they have a little uh the forest plot with their uh, effect sizes and i mean again both the per protocol and the modified tension to treat analysis both kind of favored prednisone but they didn't pass their uh equivalence margin so that they their conclusion was that these were roughly the same now, the one difference is that there was a difference in the side effect profiles. Patients who got prednisone had a lot of side effects, um, so but they got a lot of different ones. So hyperglycemia, 6%, hypertension, 11%, um, heart failure in 2 delirium in 2 or what, 2%, serious infection, 2%, etc. People with cold chain had less of that stuff, but 22% had diarrhea. Obviously, none of these differences were significantly different. It wasn't powered to evaluate those questions. But you know, it seemed like there was more diarrhea with colchicine and more sort of cardiovascular side effects with uh, prednisone. So, so what do we make of this? Now, I, I find this study vexing because it was so short. And I, this is a very common clinical question, like, what should I start for acute CPP arthritis? I mean, there should be a dozen trials on this question. Low-dose steroid, high-dose steroid. You know, injecting multiple joints versus oral therapy. Colchicine versus prednisone versus NSAIDs. I mean, there's, 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 a, there's a dozen different useful ideas. I mean, why, don't, why aren't we looking at biologics, IL-1 inhibitors? What, why aren't we considering a premolast or something like that? I mean, I think there's a lot of... A lot of potential here to actually run some useful trials for something we see all the time, but it's, it hasn't really garnered the kind of interest that our other diseases have, have garnered. So this is what we have. It's a two-day trial of colchicine versus prednisone, and everyone got tons of tramadol. So it's come with limited conclusions here, but my first take-home point is that it, colchicine looked okay. I mean, I'm not going to start giving people tramadol as background therapy, but in the context of having gotten a bunch of tramadol, it did look like colchicine fared better than I would have expected. I, I haven't been using colchicine super commonly for CPP arthritis. is the way I do for gout. I mean, I use colchicine for gout relatively frequently. So I guess this kind of put colchicine on the map for me and tells me that maybe I could use that. Um, but not, not by a strong margin. And the second thing is that this sort of pushes me again towards the way I manage gout, where I choose therapies in part to avoid side effects. And this tells me that for patients who have high risk of uh, prednisone related side effects that I could consider colchicine in place of prednisone. Now, the flip side is that I'd rather just inject the joint, which is what I typically do for these patients. So I don't know this is going to be super practice changing, but, uh, I thought it was worthwhile to celebrate the first trial for CPP arthritis. Congrats to the authors for doing it. And that's it for this week. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to follow me on social media at EB Room and at my newsletter, which you can find at ebroom.com. Have a great week.